From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. It's Friday, July 8th. Earlier this week, Moab's Arches New Hope Pregnancy Center was vandalized. The organization offers a host of services to pregnant women. They also call themselves pro-life. Justin Higginbottom has more. Paula Radcliffe says she wasn't surprised when she heard her pregnancy center was vandalized. There had been a suspected arson at a center in Longmont, Colorado, graffiti at another in Cortez. Both are pro-life organizations like hers. When Roe v. Wade was overturned, I personally did call the police department and ask for extra eyes. Radcliffe is the executive director at Arches New Hope. Four days after the vandalism, there's still black paint splashed on the center sign in front. The anti-police acronym ACAB is painted in blue across another side of the building. She's waiting for an insurance company to document the damage before cleaning it up. Obviously, it just it just hurt. It's, it sickened me. But it is what it is. The faith-based organization has been in Moab since 2004. It's part of CareNet, a Christian network of pregnancy centers. Radcliffe has been in town since the 70s. She taught for 38 years before retiring and joining Arches New Hope. I love the job. It's a great job for someone who's a little bit younger than I am, but it's an awesome job. Her center offers pregnancy tests and classes where mothers earn points they can trade in for things like diapers or formula. Everything is free and is especially meant to help those going through what Radcliffe calls crisis pregnancies. Usually when someone's coming in in a crisis situation, they're frightened, they're scared, they don't know what to do. And so our first thing that we do is try to get them calm and then sit and talk about what options they have. Those options are to parent, adopt, or to terminate. But the center has an explicit preference. We are pro-life. I'm not afraid to say that either. (laughs) We do not condemn anyone who chooses abortion. You know, that is their choice. But we are here to support them if they do need our support. Moab, like the rest of Utah, is divided in their opinion on the recent Supreme Court ruling stripping women of abortion rights. 46% of Utahns say abortion should only be legal in cases of rape, incest, or threats to the mother's health. That's according to a June poll by the Hinckley Institute of Politics. But Radcliffe says Moab has been largely supportive of her center's work, even those that are pro-choice. I know that I have friends that are on both sides of the argument, and I respect their side, and I hope they respect my side and my views. I think we need to learn to live together in the community and respect each other. Pro-choice protests erupted around the country following the Supreme Court's decision, including here in Moab, where over 100 people marched through downtown. So on July 4th, community members gathered to peacefully protest the recent overturning of Roe v. Wade. It was really about standing in solidarity for body autonomy and to begin forming a local support network to share resources and information in regards to community reproductive care. That's Faith Dickey, one of the organizers of the march. The vandalism occurred the night of that protest. I'm, I'm really sad that a local community resource was vandalized. However, there's no connection between our peaceful protest and the vandalism that occurred at some point that night, nor does the vandalism appear to have any connection to abortion. Radcliffe says this is the first time her center has been defaced. She hopes it was an outsider, but whoever did it, she has a message. You know, the people who did this, 
Come on in, let us show you what we do. And she says Arch's new hope has their own hope for the aftermath. Something positive will come out of it. And we have already had many members of the community, not just church people, but just many members of the community offering to help with the cleanup. It might show that even if residents' opinions on abortion are divided, the community isn't. Justin Higginbottom for KZMU News. A lawmaker with the Utah House of Representatives plans to reintroduce a bill that will broaden the list of individuals a victim of rape or sexual abuse can legally report to other than law enforcement agencies. Sydney Lasike with our partners at UPR has more. Utah House Representative Democrat Jennifer Daly Provost of District 24 will reintroduce a bill to broaden the list of entities to whom a victim of rape can legally report to, including crisis centers, domestic violence resource centers, and physicians. The current state law under abortion prohibition amendments, which became effective after the recent Roe v. Wade overturn in the Supreme Court, requires a victim of sexual assault who wants to terminate a pregnancy that results from rape or incest to only report to law enforcement agencies. Alexandra Allen, assistant director and victim advocate at Utah Crime Victims Legal Clinic, says the current law does not take into account the many paths victims take to heal from sexual assault or rape. She says many victims do not report at all out of fear of the justice system, fear of retaliation, fear of judgment, being accused of rape myths, or more. We know that most victims don't report to police, and we have rape myths of what a victim's wearing, were they drinking, were they not drinking, all of these things play in to how a victim processes their next steps. Representative Daly Provost has previously sponsored a similar bill, House Bill 65 under abortion amendments, in the 2020 general session. Daly Provost says it is imperative to offer survivors of rape or incest multiple avenues to report the crime and receive the care and treatment they need without being re-traumatized. Allen says a victim of rape should never be ashamed to step forward. As a victim advocate, Allen says she will always believe a victim and their story to give them the best support as they move forward. We believe you. And we as a victim service provider community fight for you. And we do everything we can to support you in your decision on what healing looks like. We need to make it easier for victims to follow their path of healing. Nationally, only one in five victims report after experiencing sexual assault. Rape is currently the most underreported crime. With Utah Public Radio, I'm Sydney Lassike. This report is from our partners at UPR. States in our region are split on the issue of abortion, and many more women are now likely to move across state lines for the procedure. Matt Voles of Kaiser Health News has this report for the Mountain West News Bureau. The four states bordering Montana have trigger laws to ban abortions now that the U.S. Supreme Court has overturned Roe v. Wade. But Montana's potential to become an abortion refuge for women in those states has been diminished. Planned Parenthood of Montana, which operates three clinics, says it will not provide abortion pills to women from states with trigger laws in effect. It will still offer surgical abortions to those women. Officials say the aim is to make sure providers and patients are protected from criminal charges and lawsuits. But the policy change is another complication for women from neighboring states who want to end a pregnancy. Officials with Planned Parenthood of the Rocky Mountains say they don't plan a similar policy change in Colorado and New Mexico, states that are also seeing an increase in out-of-state patients. 
This is Matt Voles. And now the weekly newsreel, where we check in with reporters on their latest stories of the Moab area. Four Corners Behavioral Health has a new building with more space to expand services. The building is on Knob Hill Street in the north downtown area. Sophia Fisher with the Times Independent has more from their coverage. Yeah, it's a really exciting move. The new building is uh, 18,000 square feet, costs $7 million, so way bigger than their previous digs, which were on, I believe, um, Center Street and 200 East. So Four Corners provides resources to our community. Can you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. So Four Corners provides, they told me, generalistic outpatient services for folks struggling with mental illness or substance use disorders. So that includes everything from group and individual therapy Mm -hmm. to some medical treatments. They also have this whole day treatment program for folks with intense and uh, severe mental illnesses. It's called the Interact Clubhouse. Mm-hmm. They serve not only Grand County, but Emory and Carbon Counties. And they're also contracted to provide, uh, I think, the entire span of crisis mental health services across those three counties. So really important for the local community. And with this new building, is this going to help them expand services or keep up with services? Like, what is this building going to do for them? Absolutely. Yeah. So they, they first started looking to move a few years ago because they were outgrowing their former home and it will allow them to expand. I talked to Kellen Brewer, the clinic director, and he said, for example, they've been able to hire three interns this year instead mm-hmm. of just one. Um, they're also going to expand with some new treatments. They have treatments that can help, you know, work with trauma and PTSD um, and gives them a lot more room to expand in the future. You know, I didn't really know much about Four Corners before reporting on this story, but they do such incredible work there. Um, And I encourage folks to, you know, reach out if they do need help or treatment, because they said they treat anybody who walks in the door of any age. And they do have a sliding scale for folks who may not be able to pay full price for the services. So, you know, put that on your radar. Thanks, Sophia. Now, there's a great headline in the (laughs) TI. It says, it's been a weird year um, in reference to the economy. It has been a weird year. Yeah, this was an interesting story to report on. Um, I talked to about a dozen local businesses about how business has been this past spring, particularly in April, um, in light of tax revenue data that I got from Grand County. So really interesting. A bunch of the sales taxes in town, which includes the transient room tax, the restaurant tax, a couple different other sales taxes, absolutely skyrocketed Hmm. in April Hmm. to the surprise of basically everybody. It exceeded the projections for 2022. It exceeded even most 2021 numbers. And 2021 itself was a bumper year. So I was like, what, what's going on here? I mean, clearly there's a ton of economic activity, but what are businesses seeing on the ground? And it's really interesting, despite this revenue skyrocket, businesses are pretty mixed on how they've been feeling. Some of them okay. have reported really strong springs. Some of them say it's pretty average and others have seen a downturn. I think this is interesting, too, because the Times Independent has reported on visitation numbers at our national parks, um, which I believe were down for the month of April. Is that correct? Arches visitation numbers were quite down. Um, in the month of April. Mm -hmm. Um, Similar in May. So yeah, in light of that, we were eagerly awaiting the economic data from April. um, And that's what led to this story. And I did speak with, you know, Chris Baird at the county, as well as Lacey Shumway, Mm -hmm. who's the executive director of the Chamber of Commerce. And she said, you know, inflation could be contributing to those Mm -hmm. increase in revenues. Mm -hmm. And moreover, what you're not seeing. So the revenue just means, you know, that businesses either have more customers or have higher prices. So they're Mm -hmm. just exchanging more money. But that doesn't look at the other side of the story, which is the costs that the businesses are facing. So if the costs are also higher, then higher revenue doesn't equal higher profit. 
So it's a little more complicated than you know, just tax data would suggest. And, and Chris Baird said he thought inflation definitely played a part in it, mm. but he thought that that couldn't explain the entire tax increase. He thinks that there's still a lot of vacations coming through that were deferred from the pandemic years. So you have a great quote in here from Crystal Johnson, who works at Sherry Griffith, saying that her reaction to business is uh, summed up in one word, flabbergasted. (laughs) Is that kind of how other people in this article um, felt also? Well, most businesses had pretty clear stories, but Lacey Shumway, who's talked to a bunch more businesses than I have, Mm -hmm. she said it's so hard to like come up with a narrative. She's coming, she's hearing multiple different stories from different businesses. Mm -hmm. Um, She says it's really been like a mixed, a mixed spring for a lot of people. So there doesn't seem to be one cohesive narrative, which kind of makes sense too. when you think about the many different types of businesses we have in the community and different consumer spending habits that are changing in different ways. It, it kind of checks out. Well, thank you for taking on the tax beat in our local community, Sophia. It's not always fun to dig into those numbers, <laughs> but I appreciate it. <laughs> I tried. Thank you. So um, there's one more story in the Times Independent I'm hoping you can highlight. This is about Moab's tourism marketing and a long-term partnership uh, that Grand County has had. Can you highlight this piece? Absolutely. Grand County has reapproved um, a new marketing uh, contract with Love Communication, which is an agency the county has contracted with several times before and actually most recently, they helped manage the publicity efforts for the Arches National Park timed entry system. Um, so, you know, exciting to see that happen. I think most recently, the county had been kind of contracting with different folks, kind of ad hoc. But this partnership will allow them to have a much more kind of consistent marketing plan over the next couple of years. Was there any discussion during uh, the time this was approved as to why they came back to this partnership? Yeah, so they put out a request for proposals and Love Communication had the cheapest bid and also scored the highest with its, quote, familiarity with the area of expertise and knowledge. Mm. Again, Love Communication's done a ton of marketing for Moab in the past, so you know, not surprised that they have that that wealth of knowledge. So marketing, what does this look like? I don't know all of the details. I do know that um, as of a couple years ago, due to legislative decisions, all of our marketing includes a responsible recreation element. Mm -hmm. Um, And I should say as a side note that a lot of this marketing is mandated by the state since we levy the transient room tax in case listeners didn't know that. Um, I think there are, you know, ongoing discussions at the county level about how we want to be marketing ourselves, Mm -hmm. particularly if you've seen those billboards, um, you know, do it like a local, let's stay on our trails north of town. There's been discussion of that and the depiction of off-highway vehicles in our marketing. And there haven't been any, you know, major decisions made, I think, to change how we market ourselves. But it's definitely, you know, Mm -hmm. the forefront of everybody's minds, I should say. Sophia Fisher, staff writer at the Times Independent. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabtimes.com. Many Moabites spent part of the July 4th holiday marching through downtown to support reproductive rights. As Allison Harford of the Moab Sun News explains, the demonstrators were responding to the Supreme Court's decision to remove the federal right to abortion. I went mostly to take photos, but Rachel talked to the event organizers and one of them named Britt Zale said that protesting is the best way to celebrate patriotism. And so a lot of the organizers felt that in the wake of the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, which protected the right to abortion, the organizers didn't feel like celebrating Independence Day in the traditional way. And so Brit Zale is part of this group of Moabites who feel and felt very compelled to take action and make their views on bodily autonomy and reproductive rights known. And so this group organized the 4th of July protest, and they're also trying to put together resources for 
women and people who are affected by this. And they're loosely calling themselves the Moab Full Freedom Coalition. Okay, so it sounds like out of this um, local rally, some resources have come together. Um, Can you talk a little bit more about what those resources are? Is it, you know, just more information for people who might be seeking um, reproductive care in this um, new environment? Yeah, it's kind of all of it. And so at the protest, organizers were collecting emails um, for, you know, people who were joining the protest and obviously are interested in putting resources together. And so basically they're just trying to create like website and a place where people can learn about maternity leave and childcare and options for abortion. So this rally for body independence and autonomy, um, it was pretty well attended. Anything else to say about that from the Sun's coverage? Yeah, um, one of the organizers named Trista Winder, she and her husband recently bought Bike Fiend. Um, She feels really strongly about the right to abortion. And she talked to Rachel about the fact that she had an abortion that saved her life. And 10 years ago, she was 20 weeks pregnant when she was diagnosed with low amniotic fluid. And so there was no way the baby would survive and her own life was in danger. But 10 years ago, she was able to have the procedure done at a Utah hospital. And now Utah's current law, as well as the trigger law that was meant to go into effect immediately following the Supreme Court decision, it allows abortions in cases where the life of the fetus or the mother is threatened. But many women fear that in those cases, the restrictions will slow down decision-making during medical emergencies Like doctors, you know, there'll be a moment when they question if they can do the procedure. Um, And many people view abortion as a valid choice outside of those parameters in any case. Yeah, thank you so much for that explanation on that delicate issue. Would you like to mention anything else when it comes to um, the Sun's coverage of the body autonomy rally or um, the information that these organizers are trying to put together? Yeah, so Faith Dickey, who is another organizer of the protest, said that what they're trying to put together isn't just for women, it's for anyone who um, this case impacts. Well, thanks, Ali. And uh, where would you like to take us next? I heard you... um, interviewed a cool six-year-old recently. Yeah, so in LaSalle, there is a six-year-old named Sierra Bull who recently qualified to go to the world's largest motocross race. Um, So she is fantastic at this sport, and she's only six years old, so she's teeny tiny. So I talked to her dad about what makes her so skilled, and he said she's very competitive, and also she's just really passionate about this sport. She's really driven, and he said that he thinks Sierra, at six years old, has had more time on her bike than people do in their whole life. How did she get into it? I didn't realize that um, six-year-olds could compete at this level. Um, Did you talk a little bit about that in this piece? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I also didn't realize that six-year-olds could compete, um, but kids can start competing in motocross um, as young as four years old. And so Sierra's family is really into this. Um, Her mom had also qualified for this uh, national championship, and it's the Monster Energy AMA Amateur National Motocross Championship, which was previously known as the Loretta Lynn Amateur Championship. Um, But yeah, Sierra's mom, Christine, qualified for this race when she was racing motocross. um, And also Sierra is the youngest kid. She has two siblings who also race motocross. So this has been kind of a family sport. But her dad, Tron, who I talked to, said that no one else in their family has taken to it the way that Sierra has. And, you know, what did Sierra have to say about 
um, her sport or her chance at this, you know, national competition? Yeah, so I thought this was really cute because I had just spent half an hour talking to her dad about how competitive and driven she is, Um, but she's really shy. And so she got on the phone and told me that the thing that she likes about motocross racing is jumping all the jumps. That's (laughs) so sweet. So obviously you can read more about this six-year-old competitor in the Moabson News this week. Um, Finally, Ali, you have one more story that I'm hoping you can highlight. Yeah. So on July 2nd, Rob Hanawacker, who is a butterfly enthusiast and who works for the National Park Service, he held the annual LaSalle butterfly count. And what is the butterfly count? So basically, this group spends a day counting as many species as they can in the LaSalle's. And then they send the data to the North American Butterfly Association. Um, But when I talked to Rob, he actually said that the purpose of doing the butterfly count is less about trying to collect data and more kind of about creating a community of people who are passionate about butterfly conservation um, and who know how to recognize butterflies, Um, especially because pollinators in the West have been facing a lot of challenges with climate change and ecosystem disruptions. And so the purpose of putting together this group is kind of to create local stewards. So I know you just highlighted that this is about stewardship, but did Rob have anything to say about the actual count itself? Yeah, so this year's count was pretty exciting. Um, The group saw one monarch butterfly, which is one of the most well-known butterflies in North America, but one whose population has been steadily declining in recent years. Um, So it was really exciting that they saw a monarch. And they also saw some other popular butterflies in this area, like the Western Clouded Sulfur, um, the Orange Sulfur, and a Western Tiger Swallowtail. Rob's data collection is some of the first in this area. And so it's doing this double work of, you know, creating stewards, but then also they are still collecting the data um, because there hasn't been a lot of butterfly counts in this area besides this one. Allison Harford, staff reporter at the Moab Sun News. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabsunnews.com. That's it for the weekly newsreel, where we check in with reporters on their latest stories of the Moab area. You can find the pieces that were mentioned today in the show notes at our website, kzmu.org, or wherever you listen to the KZMU News podcast. As always, thanks for tuning in and supporting KZMU, community-powered radio.